You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Who the uh, the music maestro is on the Hangtime podcast? Now that intro is a little beat. Get your bop and get your shoulders going. Seku Smith from the Hangtime blog, formerly of the Hangtime blog at NBA.com. My man, <laughs> man Lang Whitaker. I just want to throw it out there. I still got no. love for the blog. Um, Hangtime podcast coming at you. The start of the NBA season is upon us, Lang. Um, and instead of getting ready for the season, you've been in the kitchen cooking with celebrity chefs every time I look up on Instagram. <laughs> what, what's going on with that? All right, we had a celebrity weekend. We had uh, sun- Sunday. We got to meet Lin Manuel Miranda, which is kind of cool. Um, the writer star of Hamilton, yeah. and uh, we actually went to Washington Heights and saw him, and uh, that was kind of neat. And then on Monday, uh, a friend of the podcast, friend of the program, Marcus Samuelson, came by. Marcus, and uh, so it was pretty pretty cool when your son can have an after school snack made by one of the most famous chefs in America. <laughs> um, but uh, the funny part was, you know, my kid's three and he doesn't, he, he doesn't eat what we want him to eat. He just eats what he wants to eat. And Marcus has a three month old and it's his first child. And I was explaining how they you know, like how you can't tell them what you want them to eat. They're just going to tell you what they want to do. And he was like, I, I'm pretty sure your son's going to like these meatballs we're making. And I was like, he's not going to eat it. I'm, I can tell you right now. And he was like, no, 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 he'll, he'll they're, they're really good. He's going to like them. And then my son came home from school, and Marcus was like, hey, why don't you try these meatballs we made? And he was like, mm, I don't like meatballs. And just <laughs> just left. <laughs> How about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? See you later. Yeah, he just wanted potato chips. Who doesn't, to be honest? If, you, if you're three, you should be able to eat whatever you want anyway. I mean, yeah, he, Well, he does. So. <laughs> yeah, in 30 years, he'll, he'll be eating whatever his doctor tells him to eat. Um, yeah. But good for him and good for Marcus. I saw he's got a cookbook out. Big shout out to yeah. that man. Red, the Red Rooster Cookbook. Where yes. We, we went a couple of years ago on the Hangtime Road Trip. Yes, we have been known to spend a little money at the, uh, the acclaimed Red Rooster. My wife mentions that all the time. When are we going to go back to New York and go to Red Rooster? I'm like, anytime. Yeah, let's just fly to New York and go to go to dinner and then come back home. Whatever. I tell I tell Marcus all the time. I'm so proud of him because I I actually looked it up this morning. I've known him for 13 years now, and uh, so much has changed in all that time. But um, I mean, Red Rooster's been open six years, and it's still hard to get a reservation there. And you know, in the restaurant world, that's that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, so, shout out to Marcus Samuelson. Um, the GM survey is out. Uh, our main man, John Schumann, knocking down the walls as usual to get information out of these GMs. Did I, I mean I'll run through some of the highlights, Lang? Um, yeah. Forty-eight point three percent of the general managers in the NBA like Carl Anthony Towns to start their franchise last year. Anthony Davis was the man. He got 86.2% of the vote. Um, you surprised 
that that he's been overtaken by by Big Cat? Not really. I think between the uh, the injury concerns we talked about last week, um, or whether or not he's injury prone, um, and uh, the way Towns emerged in the toward the end of last season. Um, it's also, I think, just indicative of, you know, it's always the, the youngest, hottest thing. And this is Towns is right now the <clears throat> the young guy. And, you know, who knows a year from now, it might be somebody else. But yeah, I, I like it, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm a Devin Booker guy um, and 31 percent of GMs pick my main man, Devin Booker, to have a breakout season in Phoenix this year, which I don't think there's any doubt about it. He's going to have a big year. Um, somebody better on that team because <laughs> I played I played against them in 2K the other night and it, it wasn't pretty. Nice. Um, Giannis, 27.6% of the vote as the best international player. I mean, this used to be something, what, Dirk, I guess, yeah. probably held that thing down for years. Um, Mark Gasol, maybe Paul Gasol at some point, but now Giannis is the pick of uh, GMs around. That's pretty impressive for a guy who not everybody was sold on when he came into the league in terms of him being a future star. Look, I know Dirk is at the end of the rope now and um, might be part of our final five of the guys who might be toward the end of their careers. I think I'd still take Dirk as the best international player. Are you serious? I think Giannis, I think Giannis might be the, the most promising international mm-hmm. player. Uh, if they play one-on-one, who would you take? I don't know. I don't care. I mean, when are they going to play <laughs> – they're not playing one on one. I mean, it, well, as a way to determine which one of the two is the best international player. Well, after watching Dirk get put on skates last year on defense all the time, I take Giannis. I just think Dirk still got the tricks, and uh, he'd need him. He, he'd need he him to out, keep up with Giannis in a game of one on one. He can outshoot him. So Giannis is. I mean, they're the same height, basically. Yeah. You know, seventy-five point nine percent of the general managers around the league pick Steph Curry to take a final shot on the GM survey. I disagree with them on that one. Who would you take? Kyrie Irving. <laughs> Last I time think, I checked, uh, he was the one taking and making big shots over Steph. Yeah, I think Teron Lou would agree with that, too. <laughs> I might even – I might go away from both of you guys, and I would take LeBron. What, the last free throw or what? The last shot. I would just trust him with the ball in his hands. To pass it to Kyrie game. so Kyrie could cross Maybe. somebody over and take the last shot. To get to the rim and dunk on somebody, to create a shot for himself or someone else, I don't, I don't. I think I would go with LeBron. All right. Well, that's why you're not a general manager. Probably not. Neither am I. Um, here's where they come to an agreement, unanimous agreement. A hundred percent of the GMs pick the Warriors or the Cavs <laughs> to win the finals. Going out on a limb, going yeah. out and really sticking their necks out with that one. I, I mean, I can't say I disagree. I picked them too. <laughs> on NBA. Who wouldn't? Com. Yeah, Who wouldn't? I don't, of course. I don't. I don't see anybody getting over those guys. I guess this week on the Hang Time Podcast, Lang is a guy who's been a GM, a Hall of Fame player, a coach, done it all in the NBA. Kevin McHale joining us right now on the Hang Time Podcast, sir. We missed you. We missed the stories, um, and and we're glad to have you back. I got tired of talking to you at press conferences, shoot around. I like <laughs> I like you much better in in the treehouse where we can hear the the real uncut version of some of your on all time great stories. <laughs> Thank you. I'm looking forward <laughs> to getting back and uh, working with everybody. Yeah, man. L- listen, this I, and I, I thought about this the minute I heard you were coming back. What what does the league look like to you now after coaching for a couple years compared to what it looked like to you? when you went into the job in Houston? 
it's a little bit different. I think that uh, the players, you know, they need a little bit more coaxing to play together. They need a little bit, there's a little bit more individual. Now I think that um, the the guys putting team first sometimes becomes a real issue with everybody. And I think the teams that do the San Antonio's, the golden States, the Cleveland's, they uh, really are at another level than everybody else. And everybody else is fighting to get their team tied together enough where the final outcome is the most important thing. And you're willing to do whatever, whatever it takes to win that game. And that's, that's the thing that I think is a little bit different. I, I know speaking for myself and a, and a couple of generations ago with players, there was nothing we weren't willing to do to win the game. No matter how uncomfortable you got, no matter how uncomfortable it got on the, on the court, no matter how it got on the court, no matter anything, you were willing to do whatever it took to win that game that night. And instilling that in today's players takes a little more time. And you need to get that a special group together that feels that. Kevin Langwitaker here. Welcome back. Um, one of the, the guys we saw walk away this summer was one of the most competitive guys of his generation, uh, Kev, Kevin Garnett. Um, you drafted him, were involved with, with the early part of his career there in Minnesota. Um, what's your enduring memory of KG? Wow. It probably is competitiveness. I mean, and his love for the game and just – being drafted, I'll never forget the first day he came into Minneapolis. We drafted him with the Timberwolves. Um, he sat there and just stared at the jersey and put it on and was wearing it and just, <laughs> just like rubbing it like, I can't believe in a, I'm an NBA jersey and I can't believe this jersey is He's going, look how soft it is. It's all silky. And he was just so excited to be there. And that never really left him. I mean, his first few practices, he literally worked himself to exhaustion. He was young. He wasn't nearly as strong as he is, you know, as he was later on in his career. Didn't have the wind and the stamina. But he went so hard that after every drill, he would just lay on the ground. And I was like, wow. And he'd get up and do it again in the next drill. So it was really uh, just a, you know, just a special kid who was just a special competitor. Yeah, Kevin McHale joined us here on the Hangtime Podcast. I, you talk about a big man like KG, and I think about Dwight Howard, who's relocated now back to his hometown of Atlanta. He's going to play with the Hawks. Houston seemed like an odd fit for him in terms of how he and, and James Harden played off of each other. Do you see Dwight having a, a kind of a resurgence playing in, in the system here in Atlanta based on what he did in Houston? Yeah, I think he can play well there. I think, you know, Atlanta, hopefully they have the right amount of chemistry and the amount of going inside the Dwight, letting him roll to the basket, and and then allowing him to do what he does best, which is really rebound, protect the rim, defend the basket. He's you know, He can be a very, very good paint defender. I don't know if you're going to go to him in the post. I know we did some in, in, in Houston and tried to get him the ball at times. I never thought he and James really mixed uh, either on the court or off the court. I didn't. I didn't think it was a great fit, and it just. It, and you could feel it when you're around the guys. You could kind of feel it when you were around the team. So um, I, I, Dwight's still got a lot of good basketball left in him. He's just got to go to a team, and he's got to do what he does best, and which is run the floor, protect the rim, offensive rebound, defensive rebound, and just be a guy that rolls and gets people open. And you know, I think if he does that, he can have a big, big impact on winning and losing games. Seku and I were talking about about Harden earlier, and and about 
how a lot of people are throwing him out there as an early MVP candidate this year. And, and um, he averaged 29 points a game last season, even in the midst of all the stuff you guys had going on, a career best. Uh, what do you think James needs, and, and what does that Rockets team this season need to, to kind of reach their full potential? Well, they need to play some defense first. Uh, <laughs> there's no doubt about that. That's, that's been a dogfight, getting James to concentrate on that end. Since you know, I, I since I started coaching him when he came right. from Oklahoma City, but I, I think that that team's going to score a lot of points. I, I just think that you know when you had Gordon, you had Anderson, you got James, who's really a hell of an offense player. He can he can do anything you want. He can shoot the ball. He can move the ball. He's just a, a got good vision. He's got a great feel for the offensive game. But those guys have got to get some defense, and they've got to get some defensive presence. I just don't know if you can. If you can say we're going to beat everybody 122 to 121, that's just a hard way to win. You've got to get some defense. You've got to get a mix in there. And I think D'Antoni is a great offensive coach, so I have no doubt that they'll score the ball a lot. But you've got to get stops. And, and, I, and I'm not even saying you've got to be a, a top-five defensive team, but you've got to be able to lock down and you've got to be able to get stops on demand. I think that's the thing that I kept on trying to explain that you know, Daryl's really into the whole metrics and a whole bunch of stuff. And we would talk basketball quite often. I would say great teams. It's not a metrics. It's hard to put in part hard to put a number on it, but they can get stops on demand. And he would say, well, that there's no, there's no, no, no imperial <laughs> empirical evidence of that. I'd say I lived it. That's all the empirical <laughs> evidence you need is that when you need to get stops, you could get stops. And that's what that team's got to do. Kevin, do you think that's the biggest disconnect right now for a lot of teams? They have a, these analytic staffs everywhere, and, and they're looking at the game through this new prism, and they're maybe missing some of that nuance that you just have to, like you said, you have to live it and feel it to understand the chemistry and how some of these things work that might defy the numbers. No question. I, I think there's really – analytics is a huge part of it, and I think the analytics is really a, a good tool. But I can't, it can't be your only tool in the toolbox. Like I said, it'd be like saying, well, I'm going to take the tallest guy at his position in the draft. If, I, if there's a six seven two guard, I'm drafting him just on size alone. Well, no, there's talent. There's all kinds of other stuff that get in there. So you've got to say, I've got to take the, you know, the, the most talented, the best guy, uh, regardless of all these other things. And to just put it on one thing, like I said, size or length or whatever, or, or, or metrics or, or analytics. It, there's a whole blending of all that. And one of the things I really think that the analytics misses out on is how two guys who really work well together, um, each improve each other's games and they make each other better. And to me, when you asked about James uh, earlier, you know what he needs to do, he needs to make everybody better on the floor. And they've got, mm-hmm. and here's the deal. Championship teams make each other better and they know they make each other better. And there's a, there's a, like a feeling that I'm willing to go to war with Larry Burke. Larry Bird makes me better. And right. I know he makes me better. And I'm, so I'm willing to go fight anybody who steps on that floor because with him and for him and all that stuff. And I, I just think that that's what you have to have if you want to win at this level. And I think Tim Duncan had that with his teammates in San Antonio. You know, uh, LeBron has that where they like they all know he makes them better, and they're going to go out there and battle for him. So that's that's the thing. I don't know. Give me an analytic that that you know shows that. <laughs> no question. I, Kevin, I read um, Bill Walton's book 
couple months ago, and he he, oh, he talks a lot. You. Of... <laughs> you read Bill's book, the whole thing. Yeah, yes, oh, I'm impressed. Uh, he talks a lot about the. Um, that those Celtics teams you guys were on together in the eighties and, uh, uh, and a lot of the off court stuff you guys did going to grateful dead concerts and, and going out to dinner and things like that. Um, and just, you were just talking about sort of being, being willing to, to go to war with guys. Cause you know, they make you better, but how much also is it that do you have to get along with your teammates? Do you have to be friends with them or, or is that not really that important? No, I don't, I, I don't, I just thought it was better if you're friends and it's more fun. Hey, look, it's more fun to walk into work when you right. say, man, I can't wait to see these guys as opposed to, man, I can't stand these guys, <laughs> but I'm going to go to work with them. I don't think it's, it's mandatory, but I think it makes it a lot more fun. It makes it easier. But I think the big thing is, is that you got to be committed to each other and to, and to one goal and that's your team winning. And I always said the, that I, it was easy for me to play basketball because when I stepped on the floor and I saw you standing across to me like, okay, let's go find out who's better tonight. That's all I need. I was like, all right, let's go find out. <laughs> I, I believe in me and I believe in my team. And I'm, I don't believe that you can do anything that's going to destroy that belief that we can beat you guys. And, that, and that's it's, like again, like I said, it's hard to put a number on that, or hard to put a analytics on that. But that's what championship—that's what championship players feel. Well, we don't need any analytics to know that we're better off with you back in the fold here in the Turner family and NBA TV, and certainly at TNT. Listen, I can't wait till we get in the studio, and I, I want to hear some other stories that we can't talk about <laughs> for, for, for naive ears, for young ears. That's right. Uh, young ears can't hear that. Those stories are way more fun anyways. <laughs> Fellas, I'm looking forward to seeing everybody. Appreciate Thank it, sir. Guys. Thanks, man. Thanks, Kevin. All right, man. Take care. That's Kevin McHale, one of my all-time faves. Um, Lang, I, I'll never forget, Rick Kamler and I were at the Omni Hotel in L.A. Um, during the finals the year that he took the job in Houston. And we were all standing up. I forget what floor it was, but we're all on the floor, and I can see Mikhail at the far end of the hallway coming up. Camel and I are standing there talking, and Mikhail walks up. And this is after one of the finals games. And I was like, wow, you know, you drained after a game or whatever, right? You're talking, you know, rehashing mm-hmm. whatever went on. He stood in that hallway and told stories for like 90 minutes. Yeah. I had my room key in my hand. And I was like, there's no way I'm leaving with the stories being as good as they are. I'm like, I'm going to listen to every drop. Because I knew he was leaving to go coach the Rockets. And I was like, man, this might be the last time I get to sit here and enjoy this guy. He's, his insights on the game, though, um, when he played and certainly as a front office person, uh, you know, executive, a coach in, in separate eras, I'm going to be very interested to see what his take is on the league now that he's had that – that dip back into the coaching ranks and now coming back as an analyst working with us here. But, you know, it's got to, it's got to be a different, you go into it, I'm sure thinking, all right, you know, this is what I know about teams and championship building and this and the other. And then you get there and realize the players are totally different animals than they were as recently as five years ago. You and I did a show a couple of years ago on TV with Kevin and maybe it was David Aldridge with us. Yeah, yep. And, uh, and we were arguing – there was something we were arguing about on TV, and, and Kevin and I had different takes on it. I think it was about Dennis Rodman going into the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And 
And I was like, as we were doing it, I was like, I can't believe I'm arguing with a Hall of Famer about people who should go hot in there. I think that in. was the thing where they did the hot tub time machine uh, yeah, yeah. graphic of us. Yeah, that was that was classic. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I'm just saying, I I thought he had some really interesting things to say about James and Dwight. I think people would assume that he would be negative or down on those guys, but I think he understood the challenge of trying to get today's players. Yeah. To play with some, for lack of a better phrase, some old school sensibilities. Like, it's not about you. It's not about your numbers. It's about the team winning. Which I, I'm not saying that this league is filled with guys who don't care about winning. I think that that's a false narrative that gets tossed around way too much for my liking. Um, but I think it is a challenge when you have guys who've grown up outside of that. You know, back in the day, you grew up and you played for your high school team and you play for your college team, then you play for your NBA team. Now these guys grow up with me, me, me as kind of the focus from such a young age that they have to be folded into a team dynamic sometimes at the at the highest level, which which could be a bit more challenging for some guys. But I think that's why guys, like look at the Warriors, that's why guys like Harrison Barnes and Andre Iguodala and Sean Livingston are so yeah. important to what they do. And That's a great point. I mean, even in Cleveland, guys like Kevin Love, who was able to kind of take a step back and, and play a supporting role. Um, I think guys like that are, are what makes these great teams great teams. Yeah, That's a great point. Great point. And great to have Kevin McHale back in the family here. It's going to be a good season with him back at the desk. Um, looking forward to it, definitely. Lang, in, in another effort to forecast – the upcoming NBA season here on the Hangtime Podcast. I'm I'm ready to go ahead and fill out our season awards ballots seven months ahead of time. Let's go ahead and make some predictions here. Last year's MVP, Stephen Curry of the Golden State Warriors. Who is your MVP pick going into the season? Your official Hangtime Podcast preseason pick for most valuable player. I am going with This King is on J. wax by the way So don't you know people are going to come back to you At some point and say yeah I thought you said It was going to be the MVP well, Take the wax out of your ears I'm, <laughs> I'm going with LeBron James um, I think he's uh, Got the title in Cleveland They've uh, They've got the formula figured out He's going to uh, Pace himself but I mean he's still The, the major key for the Cavaliers And uh I think in Golden State, there's a couple of candidates there, but they're going to share the ball, and everyone's going to be so worried about making sure everyone's involved and, and deferring to everyone else. And in Cleveland, they got a leader, and uh, LeBron gets his, uh, what would it be, his fifth MVP if yes. he wins one this year? Yes. So I'll go with LeBron. All right. What about yourself? I'm, I'm thinking even with them playing tug-of-war uh, you know, on op- shot opportunities and everything else, in Golden State, I think they're going to be the best team in the league in the regular season. And I think Kevin Durant plays with a chip on his shoulder this year and wins his second MVP. Hmm. And I think it'll be miraculous because he won an MVP in Oklahoma City playing with another great player, but not another MVP. For him to do it with a two-time reigning MVP and Steph Curry will, will make it even more remarkable this year in Golden State. Um, next category, rookie of the year last year, Carl Anthony Towns ran away with it. 
this year, the number one pick, Ben Simmons, is going to miss the start of the season. Who is your choice for rookie of the year? I have an uh, interesting choice, I believe. Um, I'm going, I've, I've mentioned him before, and I'm, I appreciate watching him in summer league, and I think he's going to have a great season this year. And so far in the preseason, to me, he's looked awesome. Jamal Murray from the Denver Nuggets. Um, a couple of reasons. Uh, he can score. And, yeah. I, you know, one thing about Devin Booker that I didn't really, you know, when he was drafted two years ago, he was the fourth dude off that Kentucky team to get drafted. Right. So there was three other guys that went ahead of him. And and Murray kind of, I think, suffered a little bit from that being at Kentucky, too, and sharing the spotlight with all those guys. Um, he can he can score. He can shoot. He has a great feel for the game. He's going to get to play in Denver. They've already had who Gary Harris is hurt. And right. uh, Moody has been slowed up a little bit, so he's going to get some minutes. And uh, I, I think Jamal Murray is uh, is my pick for rookie of the year. How about yourself? Who did I, you choose? I like I like that Jamal Murray pick only because that's a around here we like to go off the you know off the map sometimes. Um, I was picking Devin Booker to be rookie of the year last year, by the way, even though I knew it wasn't going to happen. Um, but I, I like I like the Jamal Murray pick a lot. Um, you know, John Calipari was raving about him, you know, at draft time, saying that he thought yeah. he should have been the number one pick, which I, I wasn't sure about. But I'm going to go with a uh, a local favorite and a dude who a lot of people were panning at draft time, but who has opened some eyes during the preseason. I think Jalen Brown in Boston mm. has a chance to play the right kind of role, <clears throat> excuse me, on a good team and put himself in a position to win rookie of the year. I I think he's going to be a pleasant surprise for a lot of people, just how physical he is and uh, the fact that he's going to play both ends. I think I'm going to go with Jalen Brown based on injuries, of course, because I would have said Ben Simmons otherwise. Um, I don't know if Simmons is going to have enough time to catch up, depending on how much of the the start of the season he misses. So, um, Right. The thing about Jalen Brown that worries me a little bit is just – you know, I, Isaiah Thomas is a volume scorer there. Al Horford's going to have to get his shots too. Sure. Um, but rookie of the year, you don't necessarily have to be the guy who right. carries a team. You just have I to think, be a standout. I think Jalen Brown can kind of have the season that similar to like Justice Winslow had last year for the Heat where he kind of fills in and does, you know, a, a lot of the little things. Right. Um, he's an incredible athlete, clearly. And, uh just of all those guys I talked to at the Rookie Media Day, he was yeah. one of the more entertaining guys to talk to and interesting people, um, and I liked him a lot from that. But yeah. I just wonder if he'll have the sort of the chance to put up the kind of stats that some of these other guys will. Well, it's funny. You look at the list of rookies, and how many of them are going to step into starting roles? Right. You know, not a, not a lot. You know, I, you're going to have to really look hard to see where some of these guys come in and play starting roles as, as rookies. Um, Brandon Ingram is not going to be a starter, you know, in L.A. Um, Simmons is out. Simmons is out. Ben, you know, Bender and Phoenix is going to have a chance to play some minutes, but certainly not going to be counted on for a starter's right. role. Chris Dunn in Minnesota. Um, but I watched Buddy Hill the other night. Yeah, I, he, I watched him last night. Yeah, he, he's going to have an interesting transition. Um, really, Jamal Murray might be – Really, the, the the best choice you could make. Um, Thank you, but but I of course, that. yeah, but of course, Jalen Brown <laughs> is my pick. Um, all right, <laughs> most improved last year was C.J. McCollum. 
and a lot of times most improved isn't about who made the biggest strides, but who whose role changes the most. You Why know, don't you go first this time? Yeah, I mean, it's it's about who gets an opportunity to play more minutes. Um, right. And that sort of thing. And I think we all often give it to young players, like guys who are in their you know, second, third, or fourth year, yeah. as opposed to veterans who really improve their lot, you know, and, and get a, a different opportunity per se. I'm, I'm of the mind <clears throat> that the guy who has an opportunity to see his role change for the better and improve the most in terms of what his production is, is Victor Oladipo hmm. in That's Oklahoma City. And I think in Orlando, his, his production and his development was obscured a little bit with Scott Skiles in charge. He now goes to a team where Billy Donovan is going to be running the show and he's going to have every opportunity to establish himself as the, the wingman for Russell Westbrook. So I'm did, going with he, Oladipo in Oklahoma City. He did average. I mean, he's averaged 30-plus minutes every year he's played. And he last year he averaged 16 points a game. Right. So <clears throat> Again, I don't think of, it's so much about how much his stats change. I think it's about the opportunity to play alongside a guy like Russell Westbrook changes yeah, the, the impression that saying, he makes. You know what I mean? But I, I think a lot of times the stats are the, is the way a lot of people look at it, and it's the easiest yeah. sort of measure of, of which guy is the most improved. I I thought about this a lot, you know, and, and looking at I – I know like, like McCollum last year was a guy who got a chance and took advantage of it. Right. So I kind of made a little bit of an offbeat choice here, and okay. uh, I went with Carl Anthony Towns. Now, last year he averaged eighteen and ten. Had a by all you know rookie of the year. Had a great season. Um, would you be surprised if he's in the conversation for most improved this year? No, I, I think it's a natural. Last year I told people and they laughed at me that I thought Steph Curry should have been we in the mix for that. most improved. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think it's an award that should be limited to just young guys or, you know, I mean, if, I mean, if you're the MVP and you get considerably better as Steph did statistically and your team does that much better, I thought he was a legitimate candidate. And I think certainly if Carl Anthony Towns plays up to the expectations this year, he should be a legitimate candidate for most improved. I, I love the most improved award. There was a time when I thought that was the award that really – highlighted the progress of certain players, like, you know, and gave them an opportunity to, to be recognized men when they're maybe not an all-star, you know, the in-between that being a good player and being an all-star and th- that transition, sometimes it's the most improved. It's, you know, and I, th- and I think Carl Anthony Towns is going to be an all-star potentially this year. So, so two years ago, we saw uh, Curry make a leap um, and have that, that first MVP season. And we mm-hmm. thought, wow, he he got so much better he reached a level that it was unreachable. And then last summer he made another leap and came back last year and was even better. And, and, and we thought, wow, he's, he's reached the pinnacle. Like this is about as good as a, as he can ever be. Right. What if he comes back this year and he does it, does it again? What if he gets, <laughs> what if he finds another level from where he was <laughs> last year? I mean, we didn't think he could do it last year and he did it. So, you know, we, I think we kind of just sit here and we assume, well, you know, Curry has sort of perfected his game, but maybe he has another 
step he can reach. What would be, let's say, what would be even more spectacularly <laughs> preposterous as we make our uh, selections, season awards, preseason picks? What if Steph comes back and because he's playing with Kevin Durant, say he averages 20, 23 points and 12 assists, like he becomes the right. ultimate playmaker on a loaded Warriors team? Would you would you consider him for most improved if his assist numbers skyrocketed like that? Two years ago when he won the MVP, he averaged 23 points and seven assists. Yeah. 23.8 and 7.7. I mean, if he averaged 24 and 12. 12, yeah. I mean, I think he's definitely yeah. in the conversation. Could happen. Anything's but, possible. Or we're making I mean, preseason or, predictions. Last season, he ended up shooting 45% on threes. What if he shoots 50? <laughs> So. You're just trying to rile up the fan bases in 29 other cities to <laughs> continue their hate for uh, the Golden State Warriors. I don't, I don't know the defensive player of the year is much of a race. I mean, I think it's Kawhi Leonard's award to win until he's tired of it. He won it last year. I'm, pick, I'm, I'm picking the odds on favorite Kawhi Leonard to win it again. I threw another name in there just to, to just be for, obstinate. Just to be a um, contrarian. Yeah, Anthony Davis. Um, this could be a, a – a spot for him to yeah. to win an award. Um, you know, maybe he stays healthy this year and kind of has the season people were hoping he would have a year ago. But right. I agree. I think it's it's Carl. Carl. I mean, it's a Kawhi Leonard's award to win for the for the foreseeable future. Yeah, no question. Award to lose, I should say. Not a lot of debate on on Carl Anthony Towns, Coach of the Year. Last year, Steve Kerr won it. A lot of people dispute. You know, wanted to debate whether yeah. or not he should have won it because of the work Luke Walton did. Um, at the start of the year while Kerr was out. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and throw my ballot in for Teron Lou. Cavaliers win the East this year. T. Lou, who a lot of people question after the first couple games of the finals, mm-hmm. whether it was the right thing to do. He's a championship coach now. I'm going to go with Teron Lou as my preseason pick for coach of the year. I think what might work against them is that they're they won the championship last year, and and we know that. I mean, we we saw David Blatt was what thirty and ten when he got fired, mm-hmm. and uh, we know that team can win a lot of games, uh, sort of regardless. But um, I think that is a a, a good choice, and uh, I thought about him, but I went with somebody else in the Eastern Conference. Really? Uh, you want me to say Mike Budenholzer, don't you? But I didn't say him. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's already got one. Let somebody else do it. I said Brad Stevens. Um, yeah, that's a good choice. I mean, I think Boston has a chance to uh, – we talked about this a little bit last week. I think they're going to be a really good regular season team. Mm-hmm. They're one of those teams that every night in the regular season is going to come to play and it's not going to get outworked or outcoached. Um Sort of like the Hawks were a couple of years ago, and I think they they might win fifty five to sixty regular season games. Playoffs is a different story, but I think regular season they're going to be one of the best teams in the NBA. And uh, you hear so many other coaches talking about Brad Stevens and, how, they and how much yeah they all love his the inbounds plays he runs and all the other stuff he does, and he clearly um, is going to be doing this for a long time at a very high level. So I'm I'm going to throw Brad Stevens out there. I like that pick. Um, last but not least, sixth man of the year, um, a.k.a. <laughs> the Jamal Crawford Memorial Award. I can't uh, pick anyone other than him. <laughs> Until he's done, it's the Jamal Crawford 
award. So I, I, I went with Jamal Crawford. Good point. I, I like, I like the idea of Jamal continuing his uh, run yeah. uh, of hardware with that award. So I think it would be disrespectful to pick also, anyone. Also, if, if we pick him. against him, he's going to email us or call us or something. So, <laughs> exactly. so we got to go, with Jamal. I, I thought about Ginobili, like as a final. You know, if this is his last run. Uh, maybe Manu's in the mix. Um, right. Not sure who else. So, yeah. Well, again, I, I'm I'm when in doubt, roll with the cat from Seattle. Jamal Crawford is uh, my pick for Sixth Man of the Year. Season awards, preseason predictions here on the Hang Time Podcast. We know we're not going to get them all right, and you're going to let us hear about it all year. Also, speak for yourself. Appreciate. Gonna, it. <laughs> speak for yourself. I'm going to get them all right. Whatever, dude. You never get them all right. Make sure you subscribe to the Hangtime Podcast on iTunes. Leave a review. Helps out a lot around here. And also, we got another podcast dropping this week, Lang, the, the uh, more or less episode previewing this NBA season. Wait a minute. We yeah. should tell people not just to leave a review. Leave a good review. Give, what do you expect <laughs> it's going to be? Yeah. What are you saying? Glowing. Don't, don't, I mean, I'm, that's, that I goes without might, saying it's going to be a glowing might review. might disagree with half the stuff Seku says, but it doesn't mean you have to leave a bad <laughs> review. And don't look at Lang's Instagram and, and leave reviews about him exploiting his son <laughs> on Instagram for, for uh, you know, for I likes. I do it for the gram. You do it for the gram, baby. We appreciate Kevin McHale, uh, as always. Uh, again, glad to have him back at the Turner family. And we will see you right here next week on the Hangtime Podcast. Later. matchup between your two favorite teams and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express you breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge now it's almost tip off and everyone's already on their feet this is gonna be good see how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex, don't live life without it Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply.